have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. If you want to do the best possible job, go in and either caulk or use an expandable or low expansion foam around all of those cracks and then come back and put the bat insulation over that. The bat's going to fill the big cavity, but it's not going to seal it extremely tight. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, a Class A licensed contractor who's designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects, as well as single-family homes up and down the East Coast. He's here to take your calls, questions, and comments at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And also, you can post your questions at KenTheContractor.com. You can also leave voicemails for Ken at KenTheContractor.com. Dot com. We're going to start this edition of Ken the Contractor uh, with another football season upon us, Ken. We have an appropriate email question. Somebody wants to put one of them their big TVs up on the wall, but they want to make sure that puppy's not going to end up in their lap. Hey, you know, these TVs become larger and larger year after year. They become more affordable to all of us, so we want the bigger picture. And in my case, it's a little harder to see the smaller one. So clearly I want the bigger picture. And apparently that's exactly what Bruce from Richmond, Virginia, is looking at today. And he says, we're getting, or we're going to put a 46-inch TV up on the wall of our den. Is there any way to tell if the wall is strong enough to support the TV, and will additional support be needed? Bruce, I'm glad you're thinking about this. In spite of the fact that these television sets have become much more affordable, they still cost pretty big bucks. The last thing you want to do is put it on the wall and find it in just a pile of rubble on the floor. More importantly, you don't want someone hurt when that sucker falls off the wall. So let's talk a little bit about how you approach this. And for most of us, uh, you, you may say, well, this seems fairly simple, but many of us are accustomed to setting TV sets on a countertop, a desktop, a stand, and not hanging them on the walls. A lot of you have had pros come in and hang them. One thing you need to be certain of is pay attention to the weight of the TV itself. And that will typically be written on the box. You're going to find the gross weight of that unit. If it tells you it's 150 pounds, 80 pounds, 200 pounds, whatever it is, what you're hanging it on and with need to be able to support it. My strong recommendation is that when hanging a TV set, you always use the hanging device, the brackets that are made for that particular unit. Now, typically, the reason I say that is typically there's more than two contact points on the wall to support that load. If you have a 150-pound unit, you want to be certain if you're hanging it where it only has two screws in it on two studs, you're carrying 75 pounds essentially per contact point. That may be too much for the fastener or a light gauge bracket. That's why I'm telling you, always use the bracket that the manufacturer recommends for that particular TV set. One, it will secure or will allow the TV to secure to the bracket properly. If it hangs on it, it has a slot. It may have connecting screws or bolts to keep it there. But secondly, it will span enough wall cavity area that you can hit the studs in the wall. Now, in almost every home, without exception, load-bearing walls, if you're hanging this on an outside wall, your framing should be at 16 inches on center. That's the studs that will be in the wall that support that load. So when you use these brackets, you should be able to hit, in most cases, at least three studs with a TV of this size, uh, maybe only two. 
But again, the, the larger the TV, the larger the bracket, the more wall area you're, you're go, area you're going to attract. If you're on an inside wall, this becomes a little more problematic. Interior studs in some building code areas can be, if they're non-bearing, can be 24 inches on center. Now, that may mean with a 42-inch TV that you're only going to hit one stud cavity or one stud, and you'll have two stud cavities, one on either side of it. That is not going to be sufficient area to carry a 150-pound TV set. So you may well need some added blocking. You may need to cut through some drywall. You may need to put a board along the wall so that you can attach to at least three studs and then put the bracket on top of that. So there may be a little bit of work that's required so that you protect your investment and you protect your health and those that are around you watching this TV set. Whatever you do, you know, you've paid careful attention to this. You've raised a good question. You want to be sure that you are securing this properly. Now, I'll tell you, once you have the TV set up and in place, folks, if you're thinking about taking that basement, if that's becoming your man cave or your sports room for this year, whether it's a basement, a family room, an addition you put on the house last year, or you're just renovating, there are so many things to take into consideration. And in my career, I have done almost all of these. Hanging the TV is very important, obviously, as I said earlier. But also, many of you out there, even though you're buying a TV that has picture-in-picture capabilities so you can watch two games at one time, I have put wiring in and devices up for individuals that wanted two and three TV sets. Maybe they've got one big screen TV. They've got a couple of smaller ones off to the side. Word of caution with that. The smaller ones don't weigh as much. Pretty easy to hang. They will work off your cable. You want to be sure you're not overloading a circuit, but also you want to be sure because we love our remotes. Absolutely. You want to be sure that you don't have the same remote signal for those TVs because when you start clicking channels, you're changing two or three additional TVs at the same time. That's not where you want to go. You need different RF signals for these things or whatever the, whatever they're working on, the particular device you purchased. So I have run into that. So that's a word to the wise. If you've got the big screen going up in the man cave and uh, you're going to add another couple of TVs so that you can watch every game that's on, college, NFL, whatever it is, all at the same time for your big NFL party. So t- take that to heart. Take it from someone who knows. Secondly, As you keep adding these TVs, many of you out there are saying, I'm going to have the two TVs, but I want the highlights, and I need to see them now, and we need to play them back while we're eating pizza five hours from now, or whatever we're doing. So you're going to need some type of an equipment closet, an equipment stand, a location to put DVRs and other devices to record these things. When you start getting into that level of wiring, I'm going to suggest to you, you might want to consider bringing an electrician in because you have additional circuits that are involved. You don't want to overload circuits. Or you know who's going to be sitting in the dark listening to the game on the radio, which is not all bad if you're listening to radio, but if you need to watch it on the television, you're going to be sitting there saying, I've got my battery radio out. That's all I can do. Don't overload those circuits. Not only is it a safety hazard, you're going to be really unhappy, and those 25 guys you brought over to see the game are going to be even more unhappy. Yeah, I, The other one that I've seen is you really need somebody who knows what they're doing because there's nothing that looks worse than having this big, beautiful TV and all these wires Hanging down, coming over your mantle, everything else. Uh, to me, that's that's the whole difference. If you're going to put the TV up, you should go through whatever the cost or get whoever you need to make sure you do that. And also so this stuff works. And also because things break so you can get at it to work on it if you need it. And that's where the idea behind wiring harnesses, conduits, uh, raceways, all of those come into play. Because it's not only about the looks, but it really is about safety as well. You start snagging these wires, yanking things loose, you can create an electrical short. You certainly can interrupt your game, audio or video, by doing that. 
The other item you want to consider today, everybody does, and that's the sound system. It's no longer in just to use the speakers that come out of the TV. So obviously you have to be thinking about stereo and surround sound and the remote controls that go with those. So if you're renovating, put that on your list. You want to think a little bit about wall and or ceiling carpet. We'll do two things. One, it will deaden the noise to the point that you're comfortable in the room if you have a large group over, as well as the games and, the, and just the general noise going on. But secondly, it will eliminate noise from traveling outside so that the neighbors aren't calling uh, the local authorities saying things are a little wild next door. All of those things will make your man cave and your game day room exciting. You can go beyond that and continue to add wet bars, refrigerators, ice machines, microwaves, popcorn machines, concession stands, basically. Hey, how about stadium seating? Don't forget, coming up this hour on Ken the Contractor, now we've got our green building segment. Ken will answer your questions and also the app of the week. All coming up right here. You're listening to Ken. Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Phone lines are open 800-614-2975. 800-614-2975 is a contact number. That's the number that Mike dialed. He joins us from out on I-81. Mike, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hi, Ken. Hello, yeah, Mike. I have a question. For, um, I live down in Alabama, and the, you know, the ground is, is pretty hard. It's you know real clay, uh, red clay. It's not, not real porous, but... Um, I have a low point in the house, um, which is actually, I think, almost below the level of the foundation. Is a room where there, where there was a pantry initially, um, and it's collecting water. We we tried adding gutters uh, above the uh, when we redid the roof, pulling the water away, regraded adjacent to the walls in the house um, so that it's bringing the water away. But I'm still getting water seeping through right at this uh, in this low room in the house. Is it a whole? Um, one, excuse me, but is it a low room or is it just an area that's low in the floor? Um, it's a low room. Okay. So it's it's coming at the room's level. It's a you know it's a concrete slab floor that's tiled. Right. Um, but I'm getting water, and, and then they had a cinder block wall, but I'm getting water seeping across really at that seam of the uh, cement and the uh, and the cinder blocks. You know, we treated the cinder blocks on the outside and inside. We had pulled the dirt away from the wall. Um, because we had seen this as a problem prior to the construction, um, but even coming back now that every you know it's all done, we even use you know plastic molding instead of wood in case we did get anything coming through. Um, it's, it's still happening. And one one contractor suggested you know putting in a sump adjacent to the outside wall, you know in the dirt, you know we're actually burying you know burying a five gallon bucket with a sump pump there, so that any of the water that's you know moving across um, could be you know just pulled away from the wall. Does this water collect only during heavy rains, or is it fairly common? No, it's it's just just during heavy rains. I mean, we get you know it comes down pretty heavy down there, where we'll get several inches pretty fast, and that's really the only time it happens. Okay, now and I assume for most construction, and I'm licensed in Florida, so I've done a lot of building in the deep south where it's quite flat. But I assume then that the floor slab is fairly close to the outside grade, and you've got a yard area that's quite flat also. Is that um, correct? The floor slab actually I'm below uh, below the outside grade. Okay. Well, unfortunately, hydrostatic pressure, that's water coming up from the ground, is never our friend. And because of the clay soils, they do not perk. And the water really has to run off or evaporate when you're in Georgia, Alabama, parts of the Carolinas where you've got a heavy clay content. When you're in Florida, it runs through the sand pretty quick or areas in the, in the, 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 uh, the coastal regions, uh, the Gulf Coast regions. 
But if you've got that clay area, you're going to have to get rid of this water. I would not disagree with what you've been told by another contractor, and that has to do with finding a way to relieve that. You want to create a weakened point where water can collect. And I would support putting some type of a sump in. What you may do or consider in lieu of just a sump is to go along the foundation of the house with a perforated drain pipe. And in the mid-Atlantic and the northern part of the country, a lot of people will call it a drain tile, but it's a collection system. It's a little bit like a septic tank drain field in the reverse. In this case, you're allowing water to get into a pipe that has stone around the outside and fabric like a over French it. Drain. Right. So, right. So it can't silt in and then create a collector, a tank at some point with a, uh, a pump with a float in it. You don't have to mess with it. So when water fills up in the bottom of it, the pump comes on, it discharges the water some distance away from the house. But it sounds like this is only occurring during the heavy rains, even the summer thunderstorms. You could easily get one, two inches of rainfall in 15 minutes. Right. And I'm sure this is part of the problem you're talking about. The ground is just uh, the surface has so much water that it can't dissipate rapidly, and it's finding a way into this area uh, because it's, it's getting between your topsoil and the clay, and it's working its way into the house. It will come up under the footings, and it will come up under the slab. And the fact that your your floor is below that outside grade where the water is going to sit, this is going to be part of your problem. So I, I'm one that's going to support the other comment you had from from another builder. Look at a drain-type system and then look at putting a sump in it. But once you relieve the hydrostatic pressure, you've, you've eliminated some of the force of the water trying to get in under your house slab, and you've collected it and been able to pick it up and discharge it. What you're discussing is not uncommon for the mid-Atlantic and northern part of our listing area where we have basement issues with water, and those are all below grade on the outside. So this is the same cure. The difference is you're just in a flat environment with a slab on grade. Gotcha. Should be fairly inexpensive to do, but it'll, and it'll sure solve some mold and mildew issues and some possible rot on your, your wood on the inside. Good deal. Well, thank you, Ken. Thanks for the call. We appreciate you listening. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your call. And relating to that, we've got a couple of other leak issues. These are roof issues, though. A couple of mailbags. Let's try to get these in uh, on the program. One is from Mark in Virginia, and the other is Harmon in Virginia. Now, let's start with Mark. He's got a leaky metal roof. He says, what's the best kind of paint for sealing a leaky old metal roof? Said, I've heard about a product called Cool Seal that's used for trailer roofs. Do you know anything about it? Well, Mark, it depends on the type of roof you have. You're referring to a product that is quite common to use on mobile homes and modulars, uh, structures that have a lot of movement in them that are prefabricated, and that works well to reflect sunlight. It does just what it sounds like. It makes a little the inside a little bit cooler, and it will seal small cracks. But for any of you, whether you're in a mobile home or you've got an old-style metal roof, the first thing I'm going to suggest you do is identify the source of the leak, the crack in that roof, and then you want to try and repair it properly because when you're applying an adhesive, cool seal, a tar, a caulk, anything else over that, all you're doing is fixing it temporarily if it fixes it at all. It's not a permanent repair. So try and repair that metal roof properly. That may mean you have to bring somebody out to do a repair in place. Cool seal will work temporarily. There are other products that are roof mastic that will even work in wet environments that will bond if you've got an emergency situation that you can use on that roof. But you want to use a product that is right, that's for temporary, if it's temporary, or you really want to address the metal and have it repaired properly for a long-term uh, success rate. 
Harmon's question deals with roll roof repairs. Yeah, and I think this is very similar. Most people that will have roll roofing is use it for a temporary roof or it's on a storage shed, or there are a few houses out there that have it. And his question says, when, when sealing the overlaps, basically what do I use? I've heard that a silicone sealant is fine. Others say I have to use a black roofing tar. Roofing tar products and similar products are made to bond and to use with roofing membrane. And I would stay away from the silicones and the items that are more of a caulking product because they are designed for to bring dissimilar surfaces together, granted, but whether it's an aluminum window frame to brick or something along those lines, it's also not designed necessarily to be a waterproofing agent in a horizontal fashion. And most roofs are more horizontal than vertical. So I'd stay away from the silicone, and I would tend to be using on a regular basis, if you're just patching some of this, a product, generally a roofing tar, made to adhere to and be compatible with a roll roofing membrane. All right, guys. We hope that helps you out. Don't forget, there are a couple different ways that you can forward your questions to Ken. Uh, you can call Ken anytime at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can forward email questions to Ken at our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. And while you're there, uh, you can take a look at some of the many roofing questions that we've gotten. You know, we may have to do, uh, Ken, a a special roofing show some week just to take care of all the different roofing questions uh, that we've gotten in the relatively short period of time that this program has been on the air. You know, roofing, fencing are probably the two areas that we get as many questions both on the air and through the website as anywhere else. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson. He is Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken the Contractor is here weekends. Ready to help you with projects around your house and also to answer questions that are important to today's homeowner. Here's a basic question. Is it time to replace those shingles? Ken will address that issue coming up in just a moment. But first, time now for our green building update for this week. Always looking for items for those among us that are looking to be a little more energy efficient, number one, but also to cut down on our carbon footprint, perhaps reduce our energy cost at home. And so when I look at green building, it's everything from solar panels to recycled products. Today I want to talk to you a moment about a product that you won't find on the market yet, in the market yet, but you will coming up in just the next few weeks. Hits the market coming out in June. This is a product by U.S. Sunlight Corporation. Now that might be a name familiar to some of you because two years ago I talked to you about a new release that they had just come up with, which was a solar-powered attic fan. And that has gone over like gangbusters across the country. That tells you a lot of us are really into that. No electricity needed, the solar cell powering the fan, and controls down below to tell you that it runs because it runs so quietly, you can't hear it, both removing moisture and heat from your attic. But U.S. Sunlight Corporation has just announced they're releasing in June of this year an all-purpose fan. It's not designed to sit on the roof. It is a fan that can go in your barn. It can go in your garage. It can go in your house if you have what's referred to as a static vent, which is typically a gable vent, a fixed open vent that many of us have in the gable ends of our homes. But not only is this an all-purpose fan, it is fully solar-powered, no line voltage, no electricity required to it. The solar cell can be located up to 30 feet away from where the fan is installed with the low-voltage wiring that comes with it. But for me, the real positive on top of all the green part of this is that this fan is capable of venting up to 1,900 square feet. That's substantial for a solar-powered fan. So whether you've got a barn, again, you've got a garage, you've got a shop, you've got a house, and if it's over 1,900 square feet, you might need two, but you won't need three or four. 
This could be ideal for you on a retrofit basis or even for new construction to consider the U.S. Sunlight Corporation solar-powered all-purpose fan and take a take a look take a uh, a look at this save some money on your energy cost and make it so flexible in terms of where it goes and how you install it in and around the house the farm wherever you are and that's green building today on Ken the contractor and you can email your questions to Ken and sometimes they're fairly intricate sometimes they're pretty basic and this question that comes to us from Charles in Lancaster Pennsylvania Ken is a basic and that is, when do you know it's time to replace those shingles? You don't want to do it too soon, but also you don't want to wait until it's too late. Yeah, I'll give you a little more background in part of Charles's question. He says, is shingles now, this should be a sign to a lot of us. And Charles, uh, think about this, that my shingles are about 28 years old on my house. And that's not all bad for all of us. But it says, during the last few years, many have started to curl up on the edges. They don't look so good, he says. And so, But I don't have any leaks. The roof just does, does not look as good as it used to. Uh, I have a lot of black streaking also on one side. Will these last several more years, or should I replace them now? Well, one reason I said that 28 years isn't necessarily a negative for so many of us, is there are shingles that were put on roofs 28 years ago that were 30, 35, and we were in the early years then of some of the 40-year shingles. So the first thing I would have to tell all of you is to look at the shingle itself and determine uh, if you have the paperwork on it, what was the life of that? And the reason that's important, if you had a 40-year shingle and it's curling up and it's cracking and it's coming apart at 28 years, you probably want to con- contact that manufacturer or their local rep and say, I'm not getting 40 years out of the shingle. That's what I paid for when I built my home. But, again, that was the very beginning of these long-term warranties on shingles for manufacturers. Charles, I'm going to make an assumption that you were dealing probably with a basic fiberglass shingle that was a 30-year shingle at the time. And if it's been on for 28 years, for you and others, clearly you've gotten your money's worth out of it. You may be able to let it go if you want to get exactly 30 years out of it, but it doesn't mean that if you've got a year and a half or two years left on that, that the manufacturer is going to come along and give you a new roof today either. If you could prove there was a manufacturer's defect or issue with it and they were not performing as designed, they might give you a couple of dollars in terms of prorated. But it probably is not going to be worth your trouble with 28 out of 30 years. And if you happen to have a 25-year shingle, which was very common back then, you've exceeded the life expectancy. Some of the signs that all of us should pay attention to when we have excessive granule removal, you see it in your gutter or on the downspout where all the rainwater washes these granules off the roof, if that's excessive or you see what some call balding spots on the roof, uh, that's a pretty good sign that there's an issue with the shingle or they've reached the end of their life expectancy. When you see edges cracking, when you see shingles curling up, then that tells you all to also that they have just lived as long as they're going to. And even though you don't have a leak, now is the time that you should start taking some prices from roofing contractors, Charles, get you three bids at least, and then talk to the roofers, find out what's going to be involved, what you have to do, are they replacing any rotted or damaged wood that's up there, analyze those bids, and go ahead and contract a new roof that suits your time, suits your budget, and you do it when you're not in a panic situation and you've got water pouring through the ceiling on the inside. So the bottom line for you is, yeah, I think it's time for you to put some new shingles on that roof, but do it as you can. Roofing, fencing, a lot of these are very seasonal. And uh, I know that you can get some good deals if you know when to contract 
these folks to do this particular work. Right now, you might have a difficult time getting somebody to come out and put on a new roof. Yeah, in the warmer time of the year with the economy cranking up again and the home building business and repair and remodel business, it could be a little difficult. And for uh, Charles and others, though, that need a roof but don't have immediate issues in the sense that you have a leak, there's no urgency about it, you may want to wait until the fall of the year in your marketplace, and that the colder weather tends to come at different times of the the year, obviously depending on where you're listening to us. It comes sooner or later, but you may want to wait until the, the building starts to wane a little bit for the summer season, early fall, and start talking with your roofers as their backlog is less, and they're saying, hey, I'd like to have a void for late. I mean, I've got a void for late fall. I'd work you in because I don't want to work my crew for the last few weeks of the season out here. You may find some bargains then. The other thing would be to wait until the spring if you don't have an immediate issue. Go ahead and get your numbers, lock those in at based on early spring prices where they're starting to build their backlog. That's going to be the best pricing for you. And, Charles, uh, whenever you're dealing with a contractor, the one thing you would like to do, if you can, is buy American-made products. Absolutely, and whether you're talking to the roofer proper or you're going to buy the shingles, and I typically encourage you to buy the shingles through the roofer, tell him, you want American-made products, you want to see shingles that are made in the USA, you want to keep your dollars in this country and help preserve jobs and create jobs at the same time, get that new roof. And you're seeing more and more of these, and I know, Ken, in the work that you do right now, you're starting to see suppliers go out of their way to let people know that these products are being made right here in the U.S. of A. It's real important to manufacturers and retailers alike today. You're going to see labels on the shelves. You're going to see them actually stamped on shingled bags. They come in wrapped paper. You're going to see that in many cases. Made in America, typically you'll see an American flag there. We are promoting the USA. And I think the other final element is a lot of times folks thought they either had to make some type of uh, – had to give up a little bit of quality, or possibly they had to pay a little more. And I think a lot of these manufacturers are showing that they can produce quality products at a very competitive price. And even in some of the national uh, stories that have been done, they produced a better product at a cheaper price. That's what we're seeing. You just have to look. We're so accustomed to buying foreign products that when you look for American products today, I'm finding in my industry that we are finding superior materials and we're finding it in many cases at equal or better pricing, and we're finding that these products are readily available to us. We don't have to wait for them to come over a slow boat from China. Do you have a question for Ken? You can join us, 800-614-2975, or go to the website. It's KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build. A home is what you make it. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. We've got a question that uh, Pete left at our website at 800-614-2975. Got a little bit of a different question for Ken. Here's Pete's question. Hi, Ken. I sure appreciate you taking uh, time to do this. Uh, Ken, we... um redid a part of the house and actually uh, have a little uh, breakfast bar and we came across some old slate, took an old chalkboard and laid it down and it looks really, really nice. Um, I want to finish it, of course. So I've got really two questions. Um, one, there's just a little bit of irregularities and some scratches in the surface. Uh, what you might recommend as far as uh, sanding them out, if that's even what you would do with the slate. And I guess the second question is if you have any recommendations for um, sealing it, and I, I guess not only sealing it, but a little bit of a gloss on it. I'm sure would appreciate knowing uh, what you would suggest in such a thing. Well, 
Pete, first off, you're dealing with a natural product, and I'm assuming you want to bring some of that natural beauty out of it. And for many of us, we recognize that slate, not like unlike other natural products, has different characteristics and properties. And I'm glad you called about this. Assuming that you want to make this also a, a permanent tabletop or a bar surface, as you discussed there, the two things I want you to do to give you not only a good look, but a good wearing surface that will resist stains and is going to perform well for a long, long period of time. Slate being soft and porous, and I don't mean that it's extremely soft, but compared to other products, granite and others that are on the market, can be sanded. If these rough edges or these scratches that you have are fairly insignificant, they're noticeable, but they're not, let's say, a quarter of an inch deep, then you can sand those out. It may take some special sanding or grinding wheels to do that. And if you don't have the tools, you may want to take it to somebody in your region that specializes in working with that. And I'll tell you, sometimes I've taken stone products to folks that build uh, cemetery monuments because they're dealing with granite and marble and other items, and they've got the tools, and they're very, very economical when it comes to uh, grinding or polishing, especially something that's small. If you happen to have some fairly substantial gouges in this slate board, you may want to, and you want to finish it, which you've told me you do, then I would suggest filling that with a clear epoxy. That's going to let the color come through. It's going to create the smooth surface so that you could ride over the top of it without having an issue, or it will make a great tabletop. Now let's talk a little bit. Once you get these scratches or defects, if you will, taken care of, talk about how you want to actually finish that. And there are three primary sealers that can go on top of that. One would be an impregnating clear sealer. The other would be an enhancing type sealer. And then there's a topical sealer that's really a glossy sealer. There are also two types within those. One is going to be a water base. The other is going to be a a solvent-based clear sealer. And I am going to recommend, based on your your comment, that in your application that you're using the solvent-based clear sealer because it's going to penetrate deeper into this porous material. What that's going to do is allow you to spill everything from grape juice to coffee to anything else you've got on this countertop and simply wipe it up. You're not going to have a stain issue. If we use a water-based stain or sealer on top of slate, it still has a tendency to allow certain materials to stain the slate because it's porous. And once it gets in there, you're going to be hard-pressed to get it back out. So think about how you intend to use this and apply the correct sealer to that. Also, the two types of solvent sealers are going to leave you one with a lesser sheen, the other with a glossy sheen, and you can enhance either of those by applying a second coat. So you and your wife or others in the home that will be using this, talk that over before you simply apply it and decide, hey, this is too shiny. It looks like an old commercial gas station out there. That isn't the look I want. But I want to bring the color out at the same time. I want to protect the surface. So you have a number of options, a lot of products out there that can help you with this. Just go to your local paint store, one. They're going to talk to you some about products for this. Also, floor tile and carpet companies will typically carry all of these products that I'm discussing with you here today. Good luck. Appreciate your call. And for many of you out there that really don't want to be on the radio or just call when we're not on the air, pick up the phone and call us anytime at 800-614-2975 and leave your question just as Pete did. Right. And we should mention that I know that a lot of folks are doing exactly what Pete's doing, and that is taking some of these old natural materials and trying to incorporate them into design both inside and outside their homes. 
recycling and reclaiming products has become big business, not only for those of us saying, I want to do something that helps the environment. I also want to salvage something. Maybe it's an item I grew up with that it really has a lot of wear and tear, but I can see it being useful in my new home today. There are companies, salvage companies out there, charging us far more money for old used items than we go pay for a new one. But what they recognize is that some of these are just products that we can't replicate today, and that's one reason why. Well, you brought up stains, and that relates to our app of the week, particularly for those folks who have issues every now and then. Uh, let's see, barbecue sauce, ballpoint pen ink, food grease, grass, makeup, motor oil. Any of these sound like stains that you've had to deal with, either you or your kids? And whether it's in your clothing, on a piece of woodwork, in the carpet, I want to tell you an app that I carry in my smartphone here. And that's the reason it's one of my apps of the week. It's called MyStain. That's M-Y-S-T-A-I-N, MyStain. And it's actually put out by Clorox. And it's, all the answers don't involve Clorox. A lot of them do, but it's still put out by Clorox. And I find it quite useful. You talked a moment ago about barbecue sauce. How about ballpoint ink, magic marker? As a contractor, these are things I wish I could tell you we never run across. But sometimes it's as simple as a pencil or pen mark where a carpenter or somebody else puts something on a on a wall or on a floor uh, during construction saying, hey, the carpet covers that up, you know what, and it doesn't. Yeah, contractors have to use these things as well. Or maybe somebody came in with grass on their feet. They were outside after the sod was put down. They were standing there twisting and turning. They've got some of this green grass. Now all of a sudden I've got a grass stain on a new piece of carpet. How am I getting this out? I don't want to replace that whole floor, and frankly, my owner doesn't either. They just want it to look new because it is new. So plug this in your cell phone and your smartphone and see if it doesn't help you as you move through life from day to day around your home, at the office, in your car, on your boat. It doesn't matter where you are. The app of the week this week is MyStain. It's an app by Clorox, and it'll work both with your iPhone and your Android-based phone. Well, and the thing is, you mentioned some of these will relate to products that are made by Clorox, but a lot of them are things that you find around your home or, let's say, that you would find easily accessible you could pick up at the grocery store. Yeah, there are other household items that are referenced in here that tell you how to remove other items. Uh, other particular stains, and also address stains in different products because we don't treat the same stain on different products in the same fashion. It may be treated differently on upholstery than it is from woodwork or granite tops if it's penetrated that. So always be careful. Don't assume that one remedy suits all. In many cases, that household product is useful, but it may be diluted differently or it may be applied differently. So always pay attention to the instructions, but my app works. And one of the things that you've mentioned quite a few times is test it sometimes in a a not real conspicuous area just to make sure first. Don't go in the middle of the living room floor and say, Ken said I can get this grass stained up using this on this dark blue carpet and you end up with this nice white patch up there because, you know, the hello, my name is badge just isn't going to look good either stuck down there to cover it. So always test it in some place where you just can't see it if there's a problem. That is our app of the week. It's called MyStain, M-Y-S-T-A-I-N. By Clorox. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can always reach him at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.